0: We come then to consider our subject this evening, Does God Exist? Atheism is rising in the United Kingdom at this present time. Richard Dawkins, Stephen Hawking, and Brian Cox, powerful intellectuals and prominent presenters, have facilitated this rise with their skepticism and denial of God's existence. They are dubbed the new atheists bringing new and popular reasons for atheism to the United Kingdom. They ran a bus stop campaign with the slogan, There probably is no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. Eddie Izzard and Ricky Gervais, two prominent current comedians, belong to this group. They weave new atheism into their stand-up performances. All of this, and much more, has resulted in atheism being adopted by more and more people in the United Kingdom. And so our subject this evening is on trend. Does God exist? In response to this current trend, I want to give you some biblical arguments for the existence of God I want to follow up those biblical arguments with some supporting evidence. And then we want to consider the, the main objection to belief in the existence of God before addressing some practical applications for us this evening. Let's think first of all of what does the Bible say on this question does God exist? The Bible Gives direct statements. The Bible then argues that miracles support its assertion, and the Bible then asserts that prayer is evidence of the existence of God. Let's think first of all in the biblical evidence of the direct statements that the Bible makes about God's existence. The Bible never attempts to prove the existence of God. Rather, it considers the existence of God as a given. The issue is never doubted in Scripture or debated in the Bible. We're not expected to be judges in this matter, but rather the recipients of God's revelation in the world and in this book. The Bible tells us what's what, how it is, and how it ought to be. And so the subject of the existence of God is not up for debate within the Bible. It does not consider that there are two sides to this subject and that we are at liberty to choose either side as we wish. The assertion of the existence of God in the Bible is evident from the unambiguous opening verse of the Bible well known to us. In the beginning, God created. This verse describes a being pre-existing all matter, the maker of all things. Apologist William Craig writes, God is not a metaphysical concept for questioning and discussion. You remember the first day in a new job? We were told what was what. We were too small, too insignificant, too ignorant to know all that was going on in that new business and company. And so the vastness of our universe necessitates us being told about the existence of God. We in ourselves are too small, too finite to understand and answer this question, does God exist by ourselves? But in addition to this opening statement of the Bible, the Bible makes clear statements about the existence of God. It not only presupposes his existence, it clearly asserts the existence of God. In Deuteronomy 6.4, a very famous verse within the Jewish belief, they recite this verse every week in their synagogue. We read these words, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Clearly stating the existence of God. A statement written against the background in Moses' time of Egypt's plethora of gods. First Timothy two five asserts there is one God. First Corinthians eight six asserts there is one God. When the apostle wrote those words to the church at Ephesus and to the church at Corinth, there were atheists. In his time, there were Gnostics in those cities. There were Pluralists in those countries, and yet he asserts, with clarity and boldness and authority, there is one God. And so the Bible makes these clear assertions that God exists. But within the Bible also there is another line of thought, another supporting evidence of its assertion. And that is that it appeals to God's works as evidence of his existence. We get a glimpse into the existence and genius of Banksy, the elusive graffiti artist, though everyone knows he comes from Bristol, in the paintings which he has produced. And so the Bible argues, as we read, from the works of God, we get assurance of his existence and insight into his character. The creation that surrounds us, the world which we believe has been made by God, is evidence of his character and existence. In the verses that we read, in verses 19 and 20 of Romans chapter 1, we read that the invisible things about God are clearly seen, being understood by the things which have been made from the world around us, from the planets, from our own planet, from the aspects of our planets. God's character and existence is evident. The things referred to in these verses that have been made include the sun and the moon and the stars and animals and birds and fish and mankind. The verse claims that the existence of God is clearly seen from these things that we can touch, that we can observe, that we know about. And it emphasizes in verse 20 that God's existence is clearly perceived, it's not blurry. It's not foggy or indistinct, but it is plain. It is clearly there that there must be, from the universe around us here, one supreme, personal, sovereign God. This is the Bible's evidence and argument that God exists. Bertrand Russell, a gifted mathematician and atheist, was asked what he would say to God if he met God as to why he didn't believe in God. His answer was, not enough evidence, God. Not enough evidence. But but here in verses 19 and 20, the Bible is asserting there's an abundance of evidence. It is clearly perceived that there is a personal supreme being through the things that have been made. Donald Mackay refers to scientists who only see that the wonders of creation and nature, the atoms, the molecules, the genes, as allowing, what he says, nothing buttery. They have the toast, but not the butter. They can marvel at nature as David Attenborough does. They can even acknowledge intelligent design as Brian Cox does but they do not accept a personal, sovereign God. But verse 19 says, what can be known about God is plain to them from the works around us. In the Old Testament, one of the songs that that we sing is Psalm number 19, and it focuses on one aspect of the things that have been made, and that is the heavens It envisages these heavens, these planets, the sun, the moon, the stars, speaking to all nations and all languages. And it's a a tremendous take on, on these celestial bodies. The psalm asserts that the sun, the moon, the stars declare the glory of God. This is their message, this is the the word which they give to all nations, that there is a supreme maker and controller of the sun, the moon, the stars. They declare, they proclaim the glory of God. Glory is an interesting word and, and sometimes hard to define. The best definition I've encountered is that it means excellence expressed. Take the 2012 London Olympics. The poster girl for the games was Jessica Ennis-Hill, and the first race of the Olympic Games in 2012 in London it was the 100-meter heptathlon hurdles. There was a lot of hype around her and her ability and her potential, but then it came to the race and you'll remember it. She won it wonderfully. That was her glory. That was her excellence on display. And that is what the psalmist says is happening in the planets around us, in our own planet, in the world, in the stars. The glory of God, the excellence of God, The virtues and attributes of God are being proclaimed and evidenced and displayed in the heavens around us. If the sun was 5% closer to planet Earth, we would burn up. If the sun was 5% more distant from planet Earth, we would freeze. It all indicates a sovereign, personal God who has placed everything In its proper position. The planet Jupiter. Is 300 times the mass of earth. And I know kids love all this kind of stuff. It acts as a shield. To protect earth from comet impacts. Its gravitational pull sucks in comets. And all of this makes the students of astronomy. To speak of the strong anthropic principle. That within our world and in the stars and the moon and the sun all around us, there is this incredible combination of factors to support human life on this earth. And so the psalm says, just look at the heavens. It's speaking to us, it's speaking to every nation, to those in Africa, to those in Ukraine, to those in China. The glory of a personal, sovereign, living, true God. Such is the finely balanced nature of the heavens that they reveal God. Evolutionists, by contrast, claim the moon was formed by a collision with earth. A chunk of earth broke off and has started fulfilling all of these incredible functions purely by chance. But not only as we think of the works of God do we think of the, the creation, we also think of his ordering of all things. And the Bible as it looks at the seasons in particular asserts that here is another evidence of a personal God. In Acts fourteen seventeen, we read, God has not left himself without a witness. Of his existence in this world. For he has done good giving us rain and fruitful seasons. Every year there is a harvest because this verse asserts there is a personal living God who is faithful and good to his creation. And you and I know that the harvest every year is more than sufficient to feed the whole world. The cause of poverty is not the abundance of crops that are grown and harvested. It's the waste that takes place, the poor distribution, the greed of governments. A third argument within the scriptures for the existence of God is the miracles which he has performed. The miracles of Jesus recorded in the Gospels are described as signs. They are pointing to someone. They are pointing to something. They are more than interesting stories and wonderful works. They have a message contained in them and their message is, here before you is the living and the true God. Another aspect of God's works is the conversion of people to Christianity. The Bible records numerous instances of people turning away from unbelief and darkness to serve the Lord and to follow him. We have mentioned the Apostle Paul and he was once a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ but he was incredibly transformed into being a servant and proclaimer of Jesus. And the Bible understands this to be more than a, a psychological conviction, but to be a work of God from heaven. In Galatians 1.24, we read the words that the churches whom he persecuted when they saw the change in the Apostle Paul glorified God in him. God had evidenced his existence by changing this man into a Christian. Lee Strobel, whose writings I I really enjoy, has written a lot in defense of Christianity. He has written about the resurrection of Jesus. He has written about the, the case for Christ, the case for creation, the case for faith. But he has also written another volume just about this very subject of conversions being evidence of God's existence. And he's collated in that small volume a number of incredible conversions of people. And he says at the end, here is another evidence for the existence of God. He describes Judd, a drug addict from the age of 12. His father would drop him off at church, but he would slip out a side door of the church and pursue his habit. But at the age of 16, distraught with his spiraling condition, he cried out to God for deliverance. And God heard him. And Judd is now a pastor. And Strobel, in this case, and in many other instances that he collates in his book, cites these as a further evidence of the existence of God. The works of God. In the creation around us, the universe. In God providing the harvests and bringing the seasons. In the miracles which are recorded within the Bible. And in the conversions of individuals to faith. In Jesus Christ, here are works of God which evidence that he is living, that he is existing, that he is real. But the third point, besides direct statements of Scripture, besides works of God, is prayer. I know the the quip, uh, someone asked you, does God exist? Do you really believe God exists? And, And some Christians have replied, well, I was speaking to him this morning. Now that might help some people or or it might not But prayer is another consideration in this Jonah when he was in the boat in the storm And the sailors around him who were pagan were fearing for life All of them Jonah and them Prayed For deliverance And this is an evidence isn't it And perhaps you have done this In a time of deep trouble. You might have had no thought of God for most of your life, but in this time of deep trouble, you have prayed. Deep down within us, there is this innate conviction and consciousness that there is a God in heaven, and many people have prayed in trouble. One theologian, Wayne Grudem, he uses this in his arguments for the existence of God, and he gives an example from his own life, he was traveling across America to, to meetings uh, with four other passengers in a the car. They were traveling all through the night, a long distance, 13-hour journey, and the conversation was endless. And among them was this woman who claimed to be an atheist. It was wintertime, it was cold, and she was ardent in promoting her convictions and arguments that there is no God until... They hit black ice and the car was skidding out of control and Wayne Gruden distinctly remembers this woman who had been so vocal in her arguments against God praying for deliverance. It doesn't prove there's a God but it's another indication that deep within us there's this inbuilt consciousness and conviction that God exists. But not only praying in distress, but answers to prayer are an evidence of the existence of God. The Bible has many examples of this, and one is well known of Elijah up a mountain in Palestine, and he was taking on a large group of people who followed another god, And Elijah said, well, let's have a contest here to determine who is the true God. Whoever answers with fire from heaven, that is the true God. They prayed and nothing happened. Elijah prayed and fire came. Answers to prayer are another evidence of the existence of God. And many Christians would be more than happy To sit down with you and speak from their own experience about direct answers to prayer. William Craig gives one example from his student days in his own life. He wanted to come to Birmingham University to do a doctorate under a man whom he admired, John Hick. He had no money. Him and his wife were were married uh, as teenagers and they used half a paper plate every time they they had a meal. But they prayed morning and night that God would open up a way for them to go to Birmingham to do this doctorate. And God did. He opened up the way. And William Craig cites this as another instance of the existence of God. In 2004, a BAFTA Award film came out entitled Touching the Void, an absolutely fascinating film about two young climbers climbing up Siula Grande in the Peruvian Andes. They went up the west face and they got to the summit, but on the way down, one of the climbers slipped, broke his leg and fell into a deep crevice. And there's this poignant moment in the film, in that moment of disappointment, of trouble, where that fallen climber in the crevice prays for deliverance. Five minutes later, there's no deliverance. And he says, oh, just as I thought, there's no God. But that climber got back down the deliverance didn't come when he wanted how, it want, how he wanted but in God's incredible mercy I would argue his prayer was answered so here is the Bible and, and the Bible is incredible with all these levels and ways of pointing us to the existence of God by direct statements by his works And by prayer, being offered and answered. But alongside of that, we have some supporting evidence. And we have a a slide here which will help us because the terminology is is quite difficult. Uh, So rather than me trying to spell this out or pronounce this badly, here are the traditional four arguments. And we're moving on to our second point, the supporting evidence for the scriptural assertions the four traditional arguments used by the church over the centuries to provide supporting evidence for the claim that God exists. The first is, and and I'll run over these uh, briefly, and there's a lot more to these, and you can explore them further if any one of them perhaps maybe grips you and interests you. The ontological argument, ontos, means being. The argument is that we all, have an idea of a perfect being in our mind. Therefore, such a being must exist. We have an idea of a perfect king, a perfect queen, a perfect manager, boss, minister, parent, We see weaknesses in Rishi Sunak, Jeffrey Donaldson, King Charles, Camilla. Where does the idea of a perfect being come from if such a being does not exist? And Christians say, God is that perfect being. Teleological argument. Telos means end, purpose. This evidence argues that there is design in the universe, and this design indicates there must be a supreme being who has put all this together and keeps all this together. All things in nature and in history have a purpose, from the details of a blade of grass to the patterns of history. Everything has a purpose. William Paley, a philosopher who lived in the 1700s, used this teleological argument. He illustrated it from a person walking through a field and stubbing his toe on a stone. The person bent down and examined the stone and concluded that it had been there since time began. The person continued his walk across the field and found a watch. The person looked at the details of the watch and concluded, "Here's the sign. There must be a designer. That there must be one greater than this thing that has been designed and put all this together with a specific purpose." The argument from design points us to a supreme God. The term applied by philosophers and apologists to this argument is specified complexity. You Scrabble lovers perhaps can understand this easier. Take a handful of Scrabble letters and throw them into the air and they will drop down on the table. There you will have complexity. But take those letters up and combine a word and place it down on the board. Now you have specified complexity. And our world, and our life, is specified complexity. The DNA molecule which contains a language code is complex, but has a specific purpose and message. And such specificity indicates a designer, a creator, a sovereign. Astronomers are fascinated with the anthropic principle that the whole universe is geared to sustaining life on planet Earth. There is meaning, there is purpose in every event, in every element of nature, in every creature living in this world. The cosmological argument, thirdly, this evidence or argument argues that every effect has a cause. And the first cause, the Christian argues, is God. He is the unmoved mover, the cause of all else. Alex McFarland puts it like this, a meteor streaks across the sky. That's an effect. And one deduces that it must have a cause. An asteroid dislodged from the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter and hurled towards Earth. But the existence of an asteroid belt is an effect of a cause. The solar system, which in itself is the effect of a cause. The Milky Way galaxy, which is the effect of a cause. And on and on until we come to the unmoved mover. Who's God? He is the beginning, the source, the alpha, the one who starts it all, the author of everything. And fourthly, the moral argument. This argument is that mankind has a common moral standard by which actions are judged as right or wrong. There is a common moral instinct Within all human beings, Islamic, Hindu, Christian religions all condemn adultery, murder, stealing. This was also true of the Babylonians, of the Greeks, of the Romans. And the argument is some third party, some party outside of humanity must have established such universal morality in humans. And Christianity claims, God, the moral standard, has done this. Our moral sense points to a standard outside of ourselves. The moral sense in us is not an is, how things are, but an ought, how things should be. Our moral sense is not something material, but moral and spiritual. John is a man, but John ought not to steal. That's the moral sense. Humans are more than material beings. Robots, we have this sense of morality, which points beyond ourselves to a God of morality who determines right and wrong. There are some exceptions to this, it would appear. One example is the Inuit people living north of the Arctic Circle. They put adrift (coughs) older people, when they reach a certain age, I'm not sure what age it is, on an ice floe to eventually starve. To us, that is euthanasia. To them, it is valuing life. There's not enough food for everyone in their community, so the older must go so that the younger might live. So they do have a moral sense. They do value life. When the pundits claimed that the England forwards were lazy in the six nations' defeat by Scotland, that was a moral statement, not a material one. But who determines what lazy is? The four arguments traditionally used by the church for the existence of God Along with that, there is arguments from nature. Stuart Burgess has used his skills as a professor in engineering to argue for the existence of God from the design of the natural world. There are aspects of nature which evolution cannot explain or produce, indicating that there must be a supreme designer, a God who has made all. One evidence he cites is the knee joint. The knee joint in humans is different from all other animals. Human knee joints are designed to lock out so that we can stand fully upright. The knees of monkeys or apes cannot be fully straightened. They always stand with bent legs. Evolution cannot produce such an advanced advanced joint within a being. He cites the example of hummingbirds. They hover, they take off, they land, they move backwards and forwards. And he writes, evolution cannot explain the instant possession of all the complex apparatus needed for the hummingbird to perform all of these actions. The arguments, nature, and reason supports scripture. One simple but compelling argument from reason against atheism is you have not been everywhere. Or as Alex McFarlane puts it, atheism requires omniscience. To say there is no God must mean that you have gone to every part of the universe Every part of heaven, every part of hell, every part of the earth. searched them all and not found God. To make this bold statement based on what you find in this very small planet, in a vast universe, with limited knowledge, it just cannot be right. One astronaut returned from space, you remember, claiming that there was no God because he didn't find any God in the moon or in outer space. But our earth, our moon, are only small parts of our world. Thirdly then, the objections. The strongest argument against the existence of God is suffering. John Stott calls suffering in our world and lives the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith. It is the most common question asked of Christians, why does God, if he exists, allow suffering? Charles Templeton, one of Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, one of his associates turned to agnosticism as a result of seeing suffering. "'He saw a mother in Africa cradling a dying child "'because there was no rain. "'How could God withhold rain?' Templeton asked. "'The argument against Christianity goes like this. "'Christians define God as an all-good and all-powerful being. "'If he is all-good, he would want to stop suffering. "'If he is all-powerful, he would be able to stop suffering.' Suffering exists, therefore there is not an all-good and all-powerful God. The Bible responds to that. It teaches that suffering began after Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden. It did not exist before sin was committed. And it will not be in heaven after this world. One rabbi was collared. By a journalist and was asked about the Holocaust. Where was God there? The journalist said on on the the moral high ground, thinking he had this advantage over the rabbi. Where was God there in the Holocaust? And, And the rabbi wisely responded. He said, God was there. The question is, where was man? Where was the compassion the love, the humanity of man at the holocaust besides we know that all pain and suffering is not bad pain teaches us that something is wrong we get the toothache and we get this addressed before something much worse occurs, it is something that is useful in our lives and experience The alternative to God, being in control of suffering, brings great despair. The alternative to God, including this in his plan, in his wisdom, in his mercy for purposes that sometimes we will never understand, the alternative brings despair. To say that there is no reason for your human suffering or Ukraine's human suffering is much worse than believing that there is a wise, supreme being who has a plan. Try saying to the inhabitants of Turkey or Ukraine, that's just life, chin up, hard luck, friend. The Christian belief in a God over all things, including suffering, has great comfort, help, and assurance. Augustine, the 4th century theologian, he makes an interesting turn on this question. He said, the question can be asked differently. Not, if God exists, why so much bad in our lives? But, if God exists, why so much good in our lives? Our health, our abilities... The beauty of a waterfall, the fragrance of a flower, the freshness of a forest, the colors of a sunset. None of us deserve any of those things. But the argument from suffering is unclear, isn't it? The argument is that there's too much suffering in our world for a God to exist. case against the existence of God has been put in two words the holocaust but what if 600 Jews had died could we still believe in God then or what if 6,000 Jews had died could we still believe in God then or what if 60,000 Jews had died instead of 6 million Jews where is the line To be drawn between an acceptable and an unacceptable amount of suffering. How much is too much? Many here, perhaps you and others, have looked back at suffering and tragedy. And perhaps you have realized the benefit it has brought you. Made you a better person. C.S. Lewis in his his book that I, I, I encourage you to read if you have an issue with this, The Problem of Pain, wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts to us in our pains. Mental strength, empathy, and sometimes faith has come from adversity. God is not on caring about our suffering. He in love has sent his very own son. Imagine the heartbreak. Imagine the emotion. Imagine the trauma of sending his son into this world. He has sent his son. And his son Jesus has suffered in this world. Culminating in his crucifixion on the cross. And then the son of God. God has taken the eternal suffering which we all deserve for our sinfulness. And when you and I, small, insignificant though we are, repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, the Son of God, we are forgiven all of our sins and will, after this life, enter heaven where there is no more suffering. Lastly, defend the existence of God. You'll have plenty of opportunities then to do this. This is the most commonly asked question about Christianity. And do it with courage. Because atheism is a bankrupt worldview. It leads to despair and suicidal tendencies. This subject is far more than winning an argument. This subject is about saving lives now. And for eternity, believe in God. Alongside of the evidence in the Bible and the evidence around us and the supporting arguments must be your own faith. Alistair McGrath contrasts the faith he had as a child in Santa Claus and the tooth fairy with the faith he now has in God because God, he argues, believes, does exist. The early church creed asserted I believe in God, the Father Almighty. Know God. He is the supreme being. We are excited to know those who excel in this life. I bought the biography of Michael McIntyre, but the more I got to know him, the less I wanted to meet him. Maybe you think you know all there is to know about God. But in reality, the best of us are only beginning. Remind yourself of the layers, the heights, the depths to God. Make it your lifelong study. Alexander Pope, in his essay on man, writes The proper study of mankind is man. What a thought that is! But the proper study of the Christian is God. Serve God. The challenge of D.L. Moody. The American preacher, it's still alive. This is what he said The world is yet to see what God can do with and for and in and by the man or woman who is fully and wholly consecrated to him. What a challenge for us. And lastly, Trust God. Is your life not working out as you planned? Has it not gone the way that you wanted? Has loneliness, illness, loss troubled you? Let us trust in God. Why doesn't he provide a boyfriend for you? healing, or a job. He has the power. He has the love. Let us trust that he is wise, that he is good, that he is kind.